Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Love is the joy of the good, the wonder of the wise, the amazement of the gods. And that's by Plato, if you've ever heard of him. (laughs) So I want to welcome you again to The Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. And I have a guest that I've absolutely enjoyed following, meeting in person. I'll tell you more about him in just a sec. Before we do that, I really would love if you would go to my YouTube channel, The Profitable Photographer, because when I get enough subscribers, then I can customize the name so it's easy for other people to find it. So thanks for doing that. And I love to post almost all of my episodes that are in podcast form also on the video. And if you're watching this on video, I'm on all the podcast platforms that you can think of. So let me tell you a little about Yasmin Wen. He is a joy ambassador, author, speaker, and coach. His mission is to inspire 1 million people around the world. And Yasmin, this has been listened to in 95 countries. So I have a chance to uh, help you with your dream. And his goal is to share joy every day. He's an explorer, creator, storyteller. He teaches community leaders, business owners, caregivers, retirees, parents, students, and everybody probably that he meets in the grocery store. (laughs) Uh, Helps them have more joy. And he's going to tell you about his Joyful Living Project, where he decided to share the joy he discovered He believes that joy is the antidote of the stress and suffering that many of us face. And he's the author, if you're looking at this, of this most beautiful book called The Game of Joy. And I got to help my vote of which cover to do. And this was the one I picked, Jasmine. So, (laughs) woohoo! All right. And I want to tell you how I met Jasmine is I was at a workshop five years ago or so, called Intuitive Speaking in Portland. And he was at the conference and he shared some of the things he's going to share with us now. And he also inspired me after the conference to stay a few extra days and go to the Oregon coast. And you'll understand why when he shares a little about his project. So I could babble on and on about you, but let's get going and say hello to Yasmin Wynn. Hi. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here and to be able to connect and share with your your community of amazing photographers and, and others as well, too. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. So I don't know where to start. A lot of times I don't want people to give their backstory. Because as photographers, a lot of us have similar stories. I got a camera or I started photographing my children or I was an editor of your my yearbook, which was my case. But your backstory is so much of what inspires me about you as well as what you're up to now. So 
Uh, let me first hear about coming to America. Can you share how you got to America, what your life was like before and all that? Yeah, absolutely, Lucy. Yeah. So, you know, like many immigrant families that have come to this country, and I, and I think in many ways have helped build this country, when I was five years old, uh, my family and I were living in Vietnam. And we we lived in the southern part of the country. And so by 1978, that was when the communists started making it their way down south through Vietnam. And as they were taking over parts of the country, uh, they were seizing a lot of lands, uh, taking control of various different businesses, and also separating families as well, too. And so my parents at that time, my dad had studied engineering in Australia, and my mom was a French teacher. So both of them had Western you know, influences and ideas, which made them susceptible to being targeted. And their biggest fear was one of these days coming home from the market or even from uh, from work that they would be abducted, put in these re-education camps, and that their children would eventually become orphans. And so at that point in time, that was when the Americans had uh, started to pull out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. We couldn't exactly leave the country by buy, buying a plane ticket. And so my parents had to spend some money as well as time figuring out how are we going to leave this country because they didn't they didn't see that this was a place for us to so for them to raise their their um, their kids with some opportunities. And so they saved up enough money so that uh, the plan was for us to sneak out during the middle of the night and hop on a boat and hopefully get rescued uh, in the middle of the ocean. And so that's exactly what we did. And then uh, um, it was one night, you know, my mom packed up whatever she could. I was five years old. I'm the eldest of three. My sister was three. My brother was just a year old. And um, with my grandmother, we snuck out during the middle of the night into the jungle where our plant, where we were supposed to meet up with a stranger who's going to put us on one of his small little boats and navigate through the waterways to meet up with a bigger ship that would take us out to the ocean. And my dad had a, had to go separately. And so we were separate from him because we were afraid that if we were all detected as a family, we'd all be detained. So as we finally got our, made our way to the um, the ship, my mom was looking all over for my dad. And there was probably 40 other people that were waiting to board the, the, the ship. And uh, she asked everyone and he was nowhere to be found. And in a moment of just fear and terror, she had to make the decision that we had to continue regardless of what happened to him. And so as they loaded us all onto ship, and I use that term ship very loosely, (laughs) it was more of a, (laughs) right, it was more of a fishing boat that they crammed all of us under the hull where they had stored the fish. Mm. And the children were all drugged with uh, sleeping medicine so that we wouldn't cry out. And and quietly, it started to navigate its way out through the waterways. And we were, you know, when you think about being stuffed in the hole where the fish are, this is like there was no food, there was no water, barely any air, and certainly the stench of, of fish. Mm-hmm. And I even to this day, I still remember what that stench is like of, you know, if you had to go to the bathroom, whether it's number one or number two, you had to go where you are. 
Oh, geez. And, and each time that I, I, especially in Texas, which is where I live now, every time I go into a porta potty that hasn't been cleaned, mm. it reminds me of what it was like to be in that that uh, hole. Eesh. Yeah. So, so, you know, we sat there in the darkness, not knowing when we would be safe, when it would be safe for us to, to open up the hatch. And, and it took almost half a day for us to finally get out to international waters where the, the captain gave uh, the crew instructions to open up the hatch. And, you know, this huge rush of air came in and we all started to feel our life coming back again. And people were leaping into the water cleansing themselves off and my mom sat there um and she, the only thing the only food we had was this one orange that she mm. had taken with us and she peeled one slice and gave us each one of those and i just remember how sweet it was and and mm. that was just kind of brought us back to life and as we sat there waiting for ships to pass us again our our, our best case scenario was that we would be rescued and taken somewhere safe so we sat there all day, ships would continue to pass. And by the end of the day, we were feeling pretty hopeless because none of them had stopped. And finally, in the distance, we see this big oil tanker and it started getting closer and closer and closer until it was literally right next to us, like a six story building. And and half of us were, were afraid that they would crush us because we're this tiny little vessel. And it's, you know, if you've ever seen a tanker, it's a mm -hmm. ship. So we noticed that the markings on this tanker that it was a French oil tanker is called the Meralda, La Meralda. And my mom was one of the few people on the boat who could speak French. Ooh. So she ended up helping translate and communicating with the captain and the crew. And, and as much as the captain wanted to help us, he was bound by international laws that prevented him from just picking up people, refugees, you know, in the middle of the oceans. So he told his crew to bring us food and supplies since we didn't have anything. And as they were loading things into the to, to our boat, we hear this scream from below that there's water, there's water coming in, we're, we're sinking. And all of a sudden it became this emergency situation where the captain had to quickly radio in and get permission. And and uh, and so he they ended up uh, getting authorization to rescue us. And they threw down these huge rope ladders for the adults to climb. So my elderly grandmother was literally climbing, scaling the side of this, this um, six-story building, per se. And, and uh, for the children, since they couldn't climb, they had us in these potato sacks and hauled us up one by one. And finally, as my mom got on top of the, uh, the deck, she could see our boat disappear underneath the water. And everyone was fortunately rescued. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, as the tanker was making its way back to South Korea, um, we developed an amazing relationship with the captain and the crew and cooked and clean and, and really became friends. And on the way there, through the help of uh, a nonprofit organization called the IRC, which is called the International Rescue Committee, that places families of uh, refugees into new countries and new homes and my mom not knowing where we were supposed to go because my dad wasn't with us elected to go to France because her sister lived there so we went to France uh, I went to school there for a year and during that period of time was able to get in touch with my grandmother back in Vietnam to find out what happened to my dad and as he tried to meet up with us, he was captured by the police. He was put in jail. He was interrogated. He slept in a concrete trough for months at a time. Eventually, my grandmother was able to bail him out of, of jail. And uh, and he tried to leave a couple more times and ended up in a refugee camp in Malaysia, 
So he's stuck in Malaysia. We're in France. And he instructs us to go to, to the United States. Mm-hmm. And he said specifically go to Houston. And the reason why I was back in Vietnam, he used to work for ESSA, which was a part of Exxon. Right. He had met someone during that period of time uh, at a conference that lived in Houston. He thought if he could get himself to Houston, he might be able to find this person and get a job, not knowing Houston's a city of four million plus people. And and so we went ahead and got our paperwork done at uh, some uh, support and made our way through New York and then down to Houston. And uh, during that time, my mom did whatever odd job she could to kind of to keep us, you know, uh, alive mm-hmm. while my grandmother took care of us. Little thing like that. Right. And then my my dad took uh, it took another six months for my dad to get all his paperwork completed for us to for him to come over. And we got reunited uh, two years later from the time we were separated. So that's that's how we came to America. And and, you know, when I think of that story, it just reminds me of this, the the sacrifice, the courage, um, the opportunity to actually be here. And, and you know, I find that that's what inspires me to to really do the work, my work, because I believe that there's a reason why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I almost don't even know how to follow up with that other than like, wow, or, <laughs> you know, there's not adjectives to express my thoughts and feelings hearing your story. It's like, I don't want to make light of like, oh, and so now what happened? You know what I mean? I totally understand, Lucy. And I think that we all have our stories. I mean, it doesn't have to mean that we, you know, made it across the ocean and were rescued in the middle of the sea, but we all have our own journeys through our lives, through our parents' lives that have brought us where we are. And, uh, you know, as a country that uh, has... Uh, welcomed immigrants over the course of its existence, I think that there are a lot of these stories out there as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that you personally had a very successful, hardworking, hard challenging, or <laughs> hard driving life, and then reached some uh, questions about is this how you want it to live? So can you tell us a little of of that part and then you know then the joy part Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah well getting to you know i think about getting to america was was the first chapter you know the next chapter my own personal journey growing up uh, as um you know someone who is new that didn't speak english we didn't have much money i think that one of my biggest drive was just to fit in and to belong and to become you know more american as well and and growing up, I quickly discovered that uh, whenever I achieved, it was uh, I got a chance to be recognized and appreciated and seen and valued, and so that actually became my my drug of choice. Growing up, I would achieve, and I was, you know, I was very successful in school. I was great at playing the the school game. I was class valedictorian. I was president of the band. I was president of the science club tennis team, choir, honor society, you name it, I was involved. Um, But it was because I didn't feel like inside I was good enough. I was worthy Mm -hmm. enough. I had to prove myself. And, you know, that led me to a uh, a very prestigious and successful corporate career where I was working for one of the top consulting accounting firms. And at, at the, a few years into my career, I started to realize that Wow, 
I made good grades. I went to school. I got this great job, but why am I not happy? And so that was when I made a decision to take the leap and become an entrepreneur thinking, okay, now that I'm an entrepreneur, I get to be free. I make my own decisions. Life's going to be great. Well, little did I know, fast forward five years later, uh, I'm chasing one opportunity after another. You know, I got into real estate. I was I had three rental properties, 10 tenants at a time mm. at an e-commerce store at a uh, marketing agency. I had a nightclub uh, food business I was you know, launching. And all of that just came, a, you know, came to a head for me that I was so burnt out. Mm. There was a period of time when I was actually sleeping in my office. My body was in pain. My relationships were suffering. And I remember one day work, walking to work and uh, I was standing there waiting for the light to change. And just in this place of just such deep depression and pain, all I could think of is how can I get rid of this pain? And I saw this bus coming down the street. And I thought to myself, well, what if I stepped in front of this bus? Maybe the pain would go away. And so I closed my eyes, took a deep breath. And I just heard this voice that said, one more day, just give yourself one more day. So I went to my office, I tried to sit down and work, but I just couldn't focus. And, and I just said, you know what, I'm just going to drop everything, hop in my car, and I just need to escape. And so during that time, I had lived in Portland, Oregon, and I drove as far west as I could. And finally, I couldn't drive any further because I'd reached the ocean. And I remember getting out of my car, walking down to the beach, taking off my shoes, my socks, and burying my toes into the sand. And I closed my eyes and took a deep breath, and I could just hear the waves crashing, and tears started coming down my cheeks. And I finally said, wow, this is the first time that I've said yes to myself. Mm. I've been saying yes to everyone and everything. And I haven't, I don't even know who I am. But in this moment, I know that this is exactly what I needed. And so it was in that moment that I made a decision to come back to that very place each week. And so every Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday or so, midweek, no matter what I was doing, I would hop in my car, drive out to the coast and be with myself, be with the ocean and take pictures. And I discovered my, my passion for photography by capturing the landscape, the beauty of you know, the, the sun and the water and the mountains. And every time, even though I came back to the same exact spot, it looked different. Mm -hmm. And it was just this curiosity, this chance to play that helped heal parts of me. It mm -hmm. helped me get clarity that I need to let go of some of my business. I needed to say no more often. I needed to, you know, say yes to myself. And this practice of going out to the coast every single week, I think I made, I went out uh, 75 times over the course of a year and a half. And um, it became my it became my retirement in many ways. I, I call it my retirement day practice because I was sitting there waiting, thinking that my friends were all working in their office, having meetings. And here I am sitting on the beach. And I guess this is what it's like to retire, even though financially I wasn't in a place to retire. But that was my way of creating space for myself. But there was still something missing. So question. Yeah. When you said you weren't in a place to retire. You had all these things going on. You had 
must have had money flowing in. So how is it that in your mind you weren't in a place to retire? Because I was because retirement meant you would save enough money, reach a certain age, and then you didn't have to work anymore. That that was the old model of retirement. Yeah. For me, what I started to shift my thinking around that is that this is a retirement day practice. Mm-hmm. And so as I practice retirement each week over the course of the year, I actually accrued 52 days of retirement, 52 days of life, 52 days of an opportunity to do something that I explore my passions as well as get clarity on what do I actually want to do? Because so many of us operating on this model of of traditional retirement, we work all our lives, we sacrifice, maybe we hit 65 earlier, later, our health might suffer or our relationships like that or whatever could happen. All of a sudden, this um, finishing line, you know, we get disappointed and we miss out. Well, and we're not physically up for all the things, excuse me, potentially, Uh that that if we're taking retirement days or practice Uh or retirement practice weeks or even in, in my career, I've done several times a month in mm-hmm. Europe. Yeah. Um, and, but it gets harder and harder to think about traipsing all over Europe and, and such. So absolutely love that. And by the way, Yasmin's photography is absolutely gorgeous. When we met, he had some cards that we're going to tell you about at the end that of course, as a photographer, I especially connected with you and and your eye and your heart for beauty. So, you know, love I love having the pictures in my mind that you created as you're sharing this story. Oh. So, and I hope I didn't interrupt. No, not at all, Lucy. Thank, thank you so much. And coming from a, you know a professional photographer like you, it, it uh, I'm honored. I, it means a lot that uh, that you you've shared that and and know that. Every single photo that I took was actually on my phone. You know, it was about seeing it, it for me. The joy was seeing the beauty, mm-hmm. appreciating the nuances of it, being able to capture that moment. Cause you never know that that exact moment is not going to, you know, it, it exists only in that, that moment there. Right. And to be able to share that, that, that is so much joy. And, and uh, I hope that that, you know, that really shines through in, in the images. As it does. Well. It does. Yeah. So can we fast forward to Mm -hmm. you made a decision to impact a million people with joy? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so fast, fast forward, uh, going out to the coast and then I'm like, this, there's still something missing. I created this container, this space for myself, but I don't even know what joy is. And so uh, just in a random conversation with one of my business coaches, I decided I had this anxiety attack when we were talking about living a nomadic life and I was like okay well I think I'm gonna leave Portland and mm-hmm. I've lived in Portland for 15 years so I packed up my car two months later gave up my apartment and set on a journey across the country for 18 months to discover and learn about joy and the only plans I had was to avoid the extreme weather but aside from that I wasn't sure where I was going to sleep what I was going to do barely had any money in the bank account either. And so it was really following a calling and a leap of faith. 
And on this journey, I discovered so many ways in which joy has shown up from staying with almost 100 different people in their homes, having conversations, bringing groups together. Instead of couch surfing, I would kitchen surf, which is the idea of of, uh, cooking dinner. I would cook a five, six course dinner. My friends would invite others over. We would sit around and talk about joy and connect with others. So mm-hmm. my gift was to cook wherever I could. I and, yeah. Um, and there were so many lessons. I mean, it wasn't always rainbows and unicorns. There were definitely some low moments where I was feeling lonely. I The, the, the concept of home changed mm-hmm. for me because every literally almost every week I was in a different place. Um, but I think the biggest lesson I learned about joy was that one one of the things that gets in the way of joy is our attachment, the attachment to how things have to be or should be. Mm. And for me, um, when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, I was supposed to go to Washington, DC because that was the plan. And Unfortunately, the place I was supposed to, I was going to stay fell through. My friends I was going to meet with, they weren't available. And I got really, I got anxious about it. But what happened was I had um, been on a random call with my friend who was in Miami and uh, who I had literally just met months ago. And she said, why don't you come down to Miami and visit? And I'm like, well, it's kind of a 14 hour detour in the opposite direction, but mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to let go of my attachment and and just try. So 14 hours later, I'm down there. Uh, we're sitting there having a late dinner. My friends Annette and Eddie, they said, uh, so, hey, what do you want to do while you're here in Miami? I said, honestly, I didn't even plan on going to Florida on this whole trip. But while I'm here, I hear this great Cuban food and culture. And so I'd love to try some. So it's like, yeah, okay, we'll make some plans for the next couple of nights. Fast forward a couple of days later, I'm helping my my friend with some marketing. I had uh, some background with video marketing, and she has a company that creates itineraries for people to go to Italy, to Spain, to Cuba, all these places. And I said, "Why don't you make some videos?" She's like, "Well, how do I do that?" I said, "Well, you just take a camera, ask some people some questions, edit the video." She's like, "Great." Then she said, "You want to go to Cuba this weekend?" I'm like, <laughs> "Seriously, you want to go to Cuba?" I'm like. Yeah, of course. She's like, okay. So she hops on her computer. Five minutes later, she says, "All right, we're all set. We're on." A, three days later, we're on a, a plane to Havana, and we spend an incredible four days in Cuba, getting um, authentic food that's being cooked with for us. We're in the countryside. It, it was an, an the unbelievable experience. But all of that joy happened because I was willing to let go of my attachment to what I was supposed to do. And I think a lot of times in our lives, you know, we we have some we're we're committed to how things are, but sometimes we get stuck in how it has to happen. And that was one of the biggest lessons I learned on my Mm -hmm. my journey. I um, had a relationship in my 30s, which was, you know, just yesterday (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, with a a man that loved to travel like me Mm -hmm. and. He was the kind of person that could just start driving and and you know book book a motel room anywhere, just figure it out. And I was much more what you're talking about, needing to plan every single thing and and stay on the plan 
And from our travels over three years, he learned the value of some pre-planning that there's, you know, when you get in a in a place, you know you have a nice place to stay and and it's comfortable and affordable and in an area you want to be, there's an advantage to that. Sure. I learned that the byways, that sometimes he'd be like, okay, I'm going to go down this road and I would panic. Oh, it's not on the plan. <laughs> and he taught me to be like, that's okay. Relax. Let's go this way. And honestly, if I think about some of the most joyful and beautiful and memorable moments from our travels together, mm-hmm. it was those little side trips here and there. Uh, and yeah, we had great time skiing and all the things that were planned, but those little byways mm-hmm. uh, and were wonderful. And when I think about it now, the the panic of changing a plan mm-hmm. was big and real. And I'm so happy that 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 got altered, although some people would say I'm still <laughs> I'm still a planner, but but I, I've gotten, even just in small ways, um, and then I want to hear more of your tips about joy, because my audience likes bullet points. So I'll get back to that. But I've come to the point where if something happens that isn't the way I planned it, or if I find myself taking the wrong freeway and having to backtrack or being behind a car that that is going slow and, you know, I want to get there taking a breath and realizing that there's probably something either that I'm being saved from Uh like an accident or a traffic jam or something. And often there's something magical that happens that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't the timing, you know, so this thing is slowing me down or detouring me so that I can be, where I'm supposed to be. Right. And a, a recent example, I was coming home from my sister's house last week. I have a little vacation rental above my garage uh, in case anybody's coming to San Diego. It's got five stars. It's really cute. It's near downtown and Balboa Park. Anyway, I was coming home. There were three women um, that were staying there, two sisters and their best friend. And you know, my timing, where should I stop? Did I go too long? I stopped for for lunch uh, halfway, you know, all, all those little decisions you make. There was some traffic I didn't want. And when I got there, just at the moment I arrived, the sisters were standing outside and they had just heard that their brother passed away. And so I was able to be there hug them, be present for them. Cause here they are in a city, they don't know anybody. And I show up and offer a level of compassion and friendship yeah. and um, you know, just them knowing that there's somebody that cares about what they're going through. It, you know, we, we talked about the, that divine moment mm-hmm. that yes, it's not the moments that you want to discover something tragic like that, but to be in, in the place we're supposed to be mm-hmm. when we're supposed to be there. That's so anyway. powerful. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Lucy. I mean, before we before we transition, there is joy in planning. 
People love mm-hmm. the plan and it's very joyful. And there's also joy in, in the, the spontaneity as well. Right. And I think that the, the, the distinction that I've discovered is be very clear about your intention, but be flexible in how it has to show up. And that's where we get to welcome, you know, these, these unexpected experiences that uh, bring with it possibilities of joy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what other tips do you have? Well, I think the biggest one was actually the um, my very last day on my official trip, uh, New Year's Eve, I was in San Diego and I was standing on the pier and I was thinking about the past 18 months. And I was like, have I found joy? And I realized that I had failed. Mm. Like, I never found joy. I realized that joy is not something that we find, but joy is something that we actually create. And I actually wrote a whole poem um, that that talks about this, but that joy is within us. It's something that is waiting for to be activated. Um, and these these started to flow into my principles that became what I what I wrote, which is my book, The Game of Joy. And that joy is actually a game. And that if you understood the principles and the rules and how to play the game, you can actually create joy in any moment. You don't have to go out there and look for joy or wait for joy or hope for joy. You have the agency, the power to uh, bring joy into each moment then. So, so what are the what are the principles? So the, the first principle is that you have to create space for joy. Mm-hmm. That's how that, that going to the, to the beach, creating, you know, a moment of time, creating that, that, space what allows us to create this space i met a woman in in vancouver canada and uh, her name was sheila and she had these two lines on her wrist and i said sheila what are those two lines i said is that an 11 she's like no i was like is that an equal sign she's like nope i said well what is it she's like it's my pause button and (laughs) and i didn't realize that she's like yeah anytime when life gets stressful i hit my pause button and i just it just something just clicked i was like Oh my gosh, we all need need pause buttons. Mm-hmm. So when we use our pause button, it creates that, that space to allow joy to flow in. Otherwise, if we have our plates too full, you miss out on the joy. Mm-hmm. So that's the first principle is creating space. The second principle is that joy is personal. It's different for everyone. If you've ever been to a salad bar or a buffet or you know, any, any place where you go up with the plate and there's lots of food that you get to choose from, that's what joy is. Mm-hmm. What you put on your plate is different from what I put. The quantity, the amount, the, the what you put on, the number of times you go up, what you finish, it's all personal. Right. So there, so when I, whenever you ask, what's joy for you? It's never the same for everyone. It's never the same over time either. So understanding that allows joy to expand into so many possibilities. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not just going on a vacation or buying a new car, but it's it's like the simplest moments, helping someone who's in just, you know, who needs right. some support. That hug, it yes, being that able hug. To, to bring a hug to people I'd never met in person. We'd had conversations that gave me joy because connecting is mm-hmm. one of my highest values. I was right. going to say there's 31 flavors for a reason, because not everybody likes all the same flavor of ice cream, but yeah. Right. Okay. So create the space. 
create no, this space. Joy is personal. Joy is personal. Joy is waiting to be activated. Mm. So again, it's inside of us. And there's all these experiences in life that can activate joy, whether it be kindness or gratitude, vulnerability, uh, creativity, especially as photographers. You know, when you capture that moment, that's joy. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I'll be able to, you know, connection, um, rest, especially when we're so stressed and overwhelmed, just getting a good nap or just, Mm -hmm. you know, that's joy too. So there's all these things that activate joy. So I call them the joy activators then. I'm thinking about that one slice of orange. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that was in the middle of everything that had gone on. And the unknown position that you were in, that one slice of orange probably was, a, well, obviously a memorable moment because you shared it and here we are decades later. Is that? It is. Yeah. Savoring that, you know, in, in, in a moment of, of stress, having something that contrasts. I mean, you think about giving birth. I've never given birth before, but I, you know, but I've heard <laughs> really like you're going through labor and all this and all this pain and, and all these. And then the moment that your child comes out, there's this relief. There's this, mm-hmm. joy, right? Mm-hmm. Joy comes in completion. You're, you're checking all these boxes. You're crossing the yeah. lines. Done, done, done. That's joy too. Mm-hmm. But all these things, you know, movement, moving around creates joy dancing right yeah so there's a lot of the activators that bring wake up the joy within us um, at the same time there's what i call unjoy as much as you do all the things that bring you joy if you have unjoy that shows that there's it's something in the way i call these joy blockers you know this could be fear this could be unworthiness, judgment, comparison, uh, illness. So you could be doing something that's joyful, but it may be just a fleeting moment and then you're stuck back. So it's like joy is like the sun behind the clouds. Mm-hmm. It's always there, but you wait, you wait for the clouds to part to access joy. And so there's work for us to do to shift some of these joy blockers in order to allow joy. For mm-hmm. example, have you ever met someone who's always apologizing for something? Oh, yes. Oh, sorry. Wait, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. And you tell them, you, you notice you're always apologizing. And they'll say, oh, sorry. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> or the Canadian, sorry. You know, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. But and and we understand where that comes from. But there's an opportunity to shift that sorry, which I believe is instilled in unworthiness to gratitude, which is thank you. So Instead of, sorry, I'm running late. It's like, thank you for being patient with me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I seem to just talk too much about it. Thank you for being so attentive and listening to me. So it's the subtle nuance of our language that can really create a, a shift in the joy blocker there. Um, you know, same with comparison. It's so easy these days to to flip through our phones and say, oh, this photographer is so amazing. I'm never going to be this good. I'm this and that. But at the same time, comparison allows us to see what, what that next level can be. And also for us to see some of the work is like, wow, look how far I've gone. I'm so much further too. So it's shifting the lens. But so that that's the next, that's the next, the fourth principle. 10, no, eight years ago I had, well, 
actually since 2010, but 2014 was the biggest surgery. I had a tumor in my sinus that was benign. People that listen regularly knew about this. And in 10, I had several surgeries. 14, they needed to do actual brain surgery in order to completely put it behind me. And I found, my sister noticed this, that when I was scared or in pain or worrying about the future or, I don't know, kicking myself for not, um, there were a couple of symptoms years earlier, like funny smell and um, that is like a phantom smell when your sinus mm-hmm. is going haywire. But she noticed whenever I was in the unjoy place, mm-hmm. I had developed over the course of my spiritual practices in life, the habit of gratitude, which I I think you talked about that. Yes, you did. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and that would change everything. When, when I took in what I, what I valued, it started with, it's benign, I have a great doctor, you know, I live in a, in a world where I can get great care. And then when I was recovering from the surgeries, where I spent a lot of time just laying around, I have, thanks to um, Pollyanna, have you ever read the book, Pollyanna? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and how um, she just uh, discovered prisms. Well, I have prisms in windows around my house. And the, the distraction, the positive, joyful distraction when like I'd wake up in the morning and the light would be just right and there'd be rainbows on my ceiling. Or there's another um there's another angle where the sun made um tree shadows like blowing on my ceiling. And and I remember those moments, those little slices of joy, almost more than I remember the trauma and the pain and the recovery and all of that. And now when I see those, I don't have the same, I think, oh, that's pretty. But I don't have that same, like, this moment when everything seems yucky, but here's a rainbow. So, yeah, I just wanted to share. And it's so easy not to do those things now when all is well. And I'm just walking around in the world doing my thing and not taking the time for joy or noticing, or writing my gratitude list and such. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in. And, uh, oh, and when you said comparison, I love that statement, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. And that goes right in with what you're saying. So yeah. what's our next uh, joy? Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for bringing that up, because noticing is such a powerful activator of joy. Just noticing the simplest things i mean it's all there we we just uh, get a chance to really appreciate it um you know the next the next principle is that uh, joy changes in every moment i think mm-hmm. that some of us believe that we need to be happy or joyful all the time and that's i don't think that's true at all i mean there in a moment of joy you can have a sudden thought that completely pulls you out of that joy mm-hmm. Renee brown calls it foreboding joy when is that shoe going to drop? This is too good to be, you know, too good to last. And so knowing that you'll be in moments of joy and moments of not joy, it's okay. Each moment of not joy, you get a chance to get back into a moment of joy, mm. but you don't have to feel like 
because you're not in a state of joy that you're missing out or you're doing something wrong. Uh, and so that that gives us more permission to just be rather than why am I not happy right now? Maybe right. <laughs> you get to sit into some enjoy to grow, to discover, to appreciate something, to discover the gift. Um, but every moment doesn't have to be joyful. Mm-hmm. So that's the next principle. Um, there's okay. two more. So before we go on to those two, yeah. how do you think joy is different than happiness? Mm, good question. That's that's like the that's the ultimate debate here. You know, yes. I, I think for me, uh, joy is something that is more internal. I see happiness as something that happens to us, more happenstance than. And happiness is uh, something that uh, is a little bit shallower. I we have little control over our happiness. I believe joy is something we have control over. Mm. Okay. agency over that that's my own distinction but i've i've heard so many really powerful and valid um uh differences between the two but that's how i think about it yeah i i have to think a while and journal a while to really distinguish um but i love what you said i can feel joy any moment happiness generally for me, is hooked into something. Mm-hmm. Whether you know, I'm I'm happy that um, I had a great sale, or I get a new coaching client, and it's an event, or mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, a new lipstick came in the mail, and I'm kind of happy at <laughs> first that I received that. Whereas right. what I hear you saying is, at any moment, I can take a pause and find something to feel joyful about about that is already in existence or i can clear my brain of those negative thoughts and pull myself back into the present and into uh, like right now those the branches are blowing beautifully outside Mm -hmm. and one of the things i love about being a photographer is having an enhanced ability to notice yeah and in my life, I've had people say, after knowing you, I don't see the world the same because I notice the the three different colors on the water in the ocean when we're boogie boarding as the sun's going down that I never saw before. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the, the blessings of having the either the natural artist eye or I know mine is greatly enhanced because of 40 years of 40 years of this profession sometimes i want to be not noticing things like light falling on somebody's face <laughs> in a podcast or something but mm-hmm. um yeah so so i guess that would be my happiness can be have a connection to an actual thing or event or something yeah. And, and there, there's overlap as well, too. Of course. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and then we've got, we've got two more. But I think these, these, these last two, I think, really connect with um, those who are in a, uh, the photography profession. So the, uh, the next one is Joyce Contagious. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen a, you know, this just amazing smile, you can't help but smile back at it, even mm-hmm. if it's just an image, right? Um, and as, as a photographer, 
not only are you capturing the moment, but you have the opportunity to create a moment of joy in which yes. you are capturing. And 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 the the photo is a reminder of that particular moment. Mm-hmm. And then there's an amazing quote by Maya Angelou that I, I always love. She she says, "People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel." Mm-hmm. And I think that many photographers have an opportunity to be joy ambassadors. They get to create that joy. They get to capture that joy and share that as a gift, which leads into the final uh, principle, which is when we reflect and share, joy expands. Mm. So sharing your work, sharing the experience, posting online, reflecting by journaling, writing things down, um, that not only anchors the joyful moments, but makes it accessible when you're not, when you're in a unjoyful moment, you mm-hmm. close your eyes, you press your pause button and you think of that moment. Now it's available regardless of what's going on and the ability to share the images that you create with others invites joy as well. Thus expanding joy beyond just being there in person. So those are the principles of joy. Yeah, I love those last two. I don't know if you can see that if you're watching the video and Yasmin is, uh-huh. is can see my background. I have a picture of a moose smiling. I call it say cheese. And uh-huh. it was a fun moment in Alaska. He's actually behind a fence. And it was the first time I decided to try to remove something in Photoshop. And I was very successful. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that there were big, like barbed wire between the two of us. He every time I tried to put my lens through the the opening, he thought it was food, and so he'd lean in with his mouth open, and so I got that. And I've that's made me happy, and it's made other people happy. Um, and of course, the photographs, those of us that are portrait photographers or fine art photographers we put something out into the world for the for our clients or people that purchase it and we have no idea how many times they feel joy when they see that we think about going to a museum or you know i talked about europe going to the amazing museums and galleries in europe with the f- most famous art pieces well those give us joy you know People are long gone, centuries gone, but they're still contributing. They're still joy ambassadors. So I love, I love, love, love that. So, okay. So I have, normally I have two questions for you, but I have three. Okay, sure. So one, well, so two are are similar. Um, Do you do coaching for people? that need to develop more joy in their lives? Is that something that you're available for? Yeah, thank you for asking, Lucy. I do. I, I love coaching, especially in a, uh, a one-on-one when they get we get a chance to really dive deep and explore uh, what's happening in, in their, their world, but also what are the possibilities? So that's something that, that I certainly do. Uh, I also do uh, group um, work and uh, speak to various different 
um, small groups or uh, companies as well too. So that's okay. something that, uh, that I do. Um, but yes, I do enjoy working with with individuals as well. Okay. So how do we get in touch with you? And I know there's a, a download that you've mentioned that people would really enjoy. So yeah, the best uh, best way is um, joyfullivingproject.com. That's the that's the place where everything exists. Um, but my invitation is actually if you get a chance to grab a copy of the book because you really get a chance to dive much deeper and and there's so many amazing resources, QR codes throughout that you get a chance to actually see uh, scenes from the beach and the in Cuba and all these places and mm. videos and all these experiences. But it gives a, a deeper dive so that uh, if we get a chance to have a a conversation to see how I can support. Um, we'd have more context there too. Great. And so there's that, there's a link to a newsletter, signing up for a newsletter on mm-hmm. your website. And yeah, on my website as yeah. well. Yes. Uh-huh. And those, those cards that, that first thing that you produced, what are those called again? I They're called said. retirement day practice cards. They're on my website under a section called get inspired. And it's a series of, um, cards 26 of them that uh, have uh, you know the beauty that i get that i witnessed on the oregon coast Mm -hmm. and on the back are some ideas as to what are some ways to uh, create joy when you're practicing retirement i love it okay so i could talk to you for another hour or two (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah but uh in the interest of time Mm -hmm. Is there either something that you would love to share that when we um, log off, you're like, oh, man, I wish this had come up? Or is there something you want to leave us with? So the floor is yours. Yeah. Wow. Um, You know, there are 1,440 minutes in every single day. We wake up and we get 1,440 minutes. Now, how many of those minutes? Are we experiencing joy? How many most of those minutes are we creating joy? And my invitation, no matter how big or small it is, each day, just notice how many more joyful moments are you you creating? Because because we all have the power to uh, to create joy. We don't have to wait for it. And uh, and if it's helpful. This conversation that we've had, Lucy, can inspire some possibilities, as well as my book and website. Those are some other resources that can help you make the most of those 1,440 minutes. I love that. Oh, Yasmin, thank you so much. Can I share one more thing, Lucy, that you brought inspired? I think that whatever profession you're in, but specifically as a professional photographer, I really believe there's a direct correlation with the... um, prosperity of your business is tied to the joy that you bring Mm -hmm. and um, because as you bring more joy you are also generating more referrals as you bring more joy you also creating energy and passion that gives you a more sustainable longer um, career as well because if if you're not having fun if you're not creating joy um you're missing out on a big opportunity in this profession. Oh, I love you shared that. So um, a Beatles song is now in my head. 
Yeah. It's, and, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Mm. So we can say, and in the end, the love you, the joy you take is equal to the joy you make. I can sing better than that normally. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so, so much. And I know worldwide, 95 countries and counting, people are going to have a more joyous day and week and life from listening to this. So I appreciate you a lot, Yasmin. Thank you so much, Lucy. I appreciate the opportunity to be here to share this conversation with you and also share it with your audience as well, too. Thank so you. And everybody, be sure to stay tuned for my quickie wrap up. So I'll be right back after Yasmin and I have a little private time. <laughs> Bye for now. Okay, cool kids all around the world. I had a nice chat with Yasmin as we wrapped up a little bit. He's so special. I just hope you'll get his book and and check into everything he's doing. Get in his Facebook group, all the things. Um, and I hope that you will go to lucydumascoaching.com and click on a link to get in touch. If you want to chat about anything, there's a couple free gifts. Um, I'm excited because I picked a new template and it's going to be upgraded. It, you know, it takes a while, but I'll let you know when it is even more fancy. <laughs> okay, let's see if I can summarize really quickly. Um, well, first of all, he shared his incredible story of his family leaving South Vietnam and uh, being on the boat and such. And gosh, I just, I can't even take in what that was like, but um, pretty incredible. And then how he created this super productive A plus kind of life and then discovered he wasn't happy and how he went about um, finding joy, making space for his retirement days, as he said. So here's some, I'm just going to go through some quick bullet points. Create space for joy. Know that joy is personal. Joy needs to be activated. Uh, there are joy blockers, fear, unworthiness, comparison. We can notice what activates joy for ourselves. Uh, realize joy changes in every moment. Joy is an internal process. Joy is contagious, so we can be joy ambassadors. And when we reflect on joy and share, joy expands. So that is it for now. And um, it does bring me joy knowing that, that people are getting value from this podcast, from the guests that, that I bring in, the things that I share. And just, I don't know if I could give you a really nice hug. That would also bring me a lot of joy. So that's it. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.